Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. All right. Hey, take out your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We've been talking about a sermon series entitled A Christmas Carol where we've been looking at the ghosts that haunt us. We've looked at the ghosts of our past, ghosts like uh, regret and guilt. We've looked at the ghosts of the presence, uh, a wasted life, uh, a lower living than we would want if we could choose for ourselves, we sometimes think. And we've seen how Jesus overcomes those ghosts. And today we're going to look at the one that perhaps bothers us the most, and that's the ghost of the future. Because we're all at times paralyzed when we see this ghost that comes in the future. What's the future going to be like? What's the future going to hold? Anybody watch the weather last night? Oh my goodness, it was like, like ice apocalypse was going to happen in the city of Louisville. You know, uh, The last time I watched was midnight and they were saying, there's going to be a flash freeze and it could paralyze the entire region for days. And so I said, oh, this is, you know, Mike texted me and said, what do you think we ought to do? And I said, well, Atcher gets here first uh, with the praise band. So if he makes it alive, he can call and tell us what everything is like. And that was our plan for meeting the future uh, as, as we came there. So we were very secure uh, in that. But, but you look at the future, you don't have control over it. And that's scary. There's a lot of different variables and that's scary. And so we wonder, indeed, how can we face the future with confidence and with hope? When it came to Ebenezer Scrooge, what he found was that his past mistakes and his present way of living clouded the way he looked at the future. I want to show you a real short video clip on Scrooge and how he viewed the ghost of Christmas future right here. No, before I draw near to that stone, answer me this. Are the things you have shown me the shadows of the things that will be? Are they the shadows of the things that may be only? Horses will foreshadow certain ends. I, I accept them. But if those courses be departed from, the ends must change. Tell me that is so by what you show me. I will not be the man I must have been, but for this visitation. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Good spirit, your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Say that I may change these things by an altered life. 
I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me that I may sponge away the writing on this stone. <laughs> Spare me. <laughs> Spare me. So Scrooge having a fairly bad night uh, as he looks at those things and he fears the ghost of the future. Let's look over to Matthew chapter 2 and the first thing we see is this. Our feelings about the future are often tied to the ghosts of the past and present. That was true with Scrooge. Why was he so fearful of the future? He was fearful of the future because of his past, all of the bad things that he had done, all of the guilt and regret that he had over that. He was fearful of the future because of his present and the way that he was leaving, living and the way that he thought that was going to lead him. So the ghosts of our past and, and present haunt us when we get to the future. Look over to chapter 2, verse 1. What we're going to look at is this. This is the story uh, of the coming of the three magi to see Jesus, the coming of the wise men, uh, we often call them. And we're going to compare and contrast how the magi viewed the future and how Herod, the king, viewed the future. So let's first of all take a look at the magi, and this is what we see. The magi anticipated the birth of the Messiah with great incitement. They anticipated the birth of the Messiah with great excitement when they looked to the future. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So we have the Magi here. Magi were astrologers. They were stargazers. They looked into the sky and they thought that the sky foretold what the future was going to be like. And these stargazing uh, astrologers at one point look into the sky and they see a star they've never seen before. It's a brand new star. But not only that, it's a bright star and it's a moving star. And so they take it to mean that a great king has been born, that the son of God has been born, and they begin to follow this star. Now, in verses 1 and 2, what we're told is that the star appeared at the birth uh, of this king, they believe, and they've been following it for roughly about two years, trying to find the place. And we're told they rose and followed the star. They've got great hope, great anticipation, great excitement. Now, where does it come from? It comes from the fact that they were people who were used to looking into the stars. They were used to trying to find something in the future that God was saying. And when they saw this star, they anticipated the birth of a great king, and they went on a long journey to find this king. And so for the Magi, they had excitement, they had anticipation, they had hope as they looked into the future, and it all came from one simple fact. They felt God was speaking to them, they felt God was leading them, and they felt like something good was going to be at the end of their journey. So everything that they were doing, all of their hope in the future, was predicated upon the fact that they felt like God was leading, God was there, and God was a part of what they're doing. If you want to know how you can face the future without fear, it's the exact same way. You can face the future without fear when you face it with God. When you realize that God is with me, God is leading me, God is taking me to a particular place. He's going to be there waiting for me. He's going to be with me every step of the way. When you think the future includes God and the future is being led by God, then you see the future in a different way. 
For the Magi, that's exactly how they saw it. God's leading us. God's directing us. God has a course for us. We're following that course, and something good's going to come at the end of it. And so that was their anticipation. That was their hope, and it came from their past and their present experiences with God. Anybody here NBA basketball fans? It's okay. You can admit it. It's not, you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Well, you know, Steph Curry last year just hit some unbelievable three-pointers. I've got a picture here I wanted to show you. Uh, look at Andrew Bogut, who was the center last year. The ball is still in Steph Curry's hands. He hasn't even shot the ball. But Bogut is so confident that he's going to hit it, he already has his finger up and is running the other way down court. Now, why is he doing that? First, he's doing it from past experience. I've been at game after game where he hits this shot every time he sees it. Not only that, he's working from present experience. Guess what? He's been hitting that shot all day long. So as soon as he gets the ball, it's good. My past and my present says the future holds something very good, something very positive, and I'm going to act upon it. Now, you see that picture, and that's exactly what the future should be like for people who believe in God and believe my past experiences with God, my present experiences with God, say that my future is going to be secure because God is going to be in it. So for the Magi, their experience with God caused them great anticipation, great excitement, and caused them to follow that star. Now, did that mean their trip was easy? A couple-year trip in that day and age, it didn't mean it was easy. It didn't mean it wasn't dangerous. It didn't mean at times there weren't great challenges, great expense. But they believed that they were being led somewhere by God, and they had the confidence to follow. So for the Magi, and they anticipated the birth of Messiah with great excitement. Now let's compare and contrast how the Magi felt about this with how Herod felt about it. Now Herod was the king of Judea. And what we see about Herod is this. Herod is disturbed by what the future might hold. The Magi were excited about what the future held. Herod is disturbed by what the future might hold. Look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now let's just stop there for a second. So when the Magi show up and they ask Herod, where's the one that's going to be born king of the Jews? We're told he's disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, he has a lot of reasons to be disturbed, and it comes from his past and his present. In the past, he'd had some things go on in his life where he felt like he was always under assault and that everybody was always trying to get his throne. His father had been poisoned to death when he was the ruler of the land. So he always felt like people were out to get him and were trying to kill him from past experiences. Not only that, he'd been made the king of Judea by Roman Senate decree because he, he had followed Caesar Augustus during the Civil War and Augustus had won. So they made him the king of Judea. But he wasn't even a Jew. He was ruling over the Jews as their royal leader, but he wasn't even a Jew. He tried to get around that by marrying a Hasmonean princess, but then he felt like she was trying to usurp his authority. He murdered his wife. He murdered three of his sons. He then took uh, his two of his uncles and killed them. He was known for slaughtering people with great paranoia. Anybody that he thought was trying to take over in his place, he would have immediately put to death, whether it was true or whether it was not. As a matter of fact, Caesar Augustus said this about Herod. He said, it's much better to be Herod's pig than it is to be his son. Because Jews didn't eat pork, so your pig was safe, but your sons were in big trouble being slaughtered. 
uh, if, if you were aligned with Herod right there. And so this was a guy, his past and his present, he wasn't secure on his throne. He was paranoid. And then these three stargazers show up and say, where's the one born king of the Jews? So he gets disturbed. Somebody's trying to usurp my authority and take my crown. But not only that, we're told in verse 3, all of Jerusalem is disturbed because this guy's nuts. No telling what he's going to do if he feels like somebody is after his throne. Let's keep reading down to verse 4. He called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you who will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now that's Micah 5, 25, verses 2 and 4 uh, that, that's quoted there. So I find this really interesting. Herod believes that his throne is about to be usurped. He's fearing the future and what it might hold. And so he calls the priests in and he says, where's the Bible say the Messiah is going to be born? And they say Bethlehem. And he says, okay, that's what I needed to know. Now, here's what I find interesting. He believes what the Bible says. He's looking to the Bible for the right information. It says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And then he says, well, if that's what it says, that's where he's going to be born. I need to kill people in Bethlehem now. Does that make any sense? God's working. I believe this is God's will. And now I'm going to stop God's will. Here's what you need to understand. Fear of the future is never rational. Okay. If you think it's rational, you're wrong. Fear of the future is always an anticipation of what might be, and it's generally based upon your worst thoughts of what the future might be. And so we obsess about those things, and we, they, they cloud our minds, and we can't move on from it. And it's not a rational thing. And some people that have fear of the future, you can even talk to them, and they'll say, look, I know this is nuts. I know, you know, I know it's not rational, uh, but I just can't stop it or, or something like that. We have this uncommon fear of the future. Mark Twain, I've told you before, had the great quote of, I've lived through some terrible things in my life, one or two of which actually happened. Uh, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a real truth that we have there is we fear the future. So we have this paranoid man from his past and, and present experience that fears what the future is going to hold. And so he hatches a plot to have Jesus put to death. Look at verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, why is that so important? Because he wants to know when the child was born. And that would have been about two years earlier. He then sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can come and worship him too. So Herod hatches his plot. When you find the baby, come and tell me. And then his idea is I'm going to show up. I'm going to kill the baby. This threat to my throne and my future will be solved. Fear of the future when it's based upon the fact that God is not involved, that God is not our hope and our trust and our, our, uh, our anchor. What happens is we tend to see all the bad things that can happen. Now, some of you were born uh, before the year 2000, and you remember when 2000 came, that start of the new millennia. Anybody remember Y2K? Oh, yeah, I remember uh, on, on uh, New Year's Eve, that we were watching the television and they actually had an airplane that was flying and they were talking to the pilot. And when it hit midnight, they go, are you still there? Are you still there? And he goes, the plane's still flying, the plane's still flying. And I'm like, 
Well, you know, I don't think I'd have been in the plane at all, you know, if I, if I, if I would have been the guy. But the idea behind Y2K was when, the, when you turned to 2000 and you were no longer in the 19s, that computers wouldn't know how to handle it because they hadn't been programmed and everything would just crash and the world would end as we know it. Here's a newspaper before Y2K. The day the earth will stand still, all banks will fail, food supplies will be depleted, electricity will be cut off, stock market will crash, vehicles using computer chips will stop dead, telephones will cease to exist, domino effect will cause worldwide depression. Guess what happened with Y2K? Nothing. When it changed to 2000, guess what all the computers did? They just went to 2000. Nothing happened at all. And yet people were panicked in fear and paranoia about the future. One, a confidence based on God. The other, a confidence based only on what we can do. And that brings us to the next thing that we see. Our view of the future will affect the way you live in the present. The way you see the future, whether you see it with God or whether you see it by something you've got to handle and something that's random, your view of the future affects how you live right now. And let's see that again by comparing and contrasting the Magi and Herod. First, the Magi. How did the Magi act in the present because of their anticipation of the future? The Magi were filled with joy, they worshiped, and they gave gifts. They were filled with joy, they worshiped, and they gave gifts. Look at verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So the child literally leads them to that place. The star stops, and then like uh, a bright light shines on the place. They have a spotlight put upon the house. Uh, I'd have Caleb put a spotlight on me, except do we have wide angle? We don't have a wide enough angle, he said, so we won't, we won't do that today. So it stops over the place. Then let's see what happens. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So what's the first thing they do in the present because of their anticipation of the future? They're overjoyed. Not they have joy. They have joy that goes over. It overflows. It's thumping out of the top. It's overflowing joy. Why do they have such joy? Because they believed when they started two years before that they were being led to a certain place by God. There had been a lot of hardships, a lot of difficulties. But now they were at the place God had been leading them for two years. And they could look back and say, this has been the result of all of our belief in the future. And it caused them to be overjoyed. So you can look at the future with joy. God loves you. God cares for you. God is going to be with you. God has a great plan for you in your life. And you can look at the future with joy. And that joy will overflow when your belief then comes to the reality of it taking place. So when they got there, they were overjoyed. Let's see the next thing that they do. Verse, verse 11. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. So they find the house that, that Mary and Joseph and Jesus are living in. Notice they found the house. What does that point out to you? The Magi were not at the manger at the birth. The star appeared when Jesus was born. And they'd been following it for a couple of years. They're in a house now, okay? So they come to the house. They enter the house. And when they see the baby, they fall down and worship him. Now, everybody gets excited when a baby is born. I see Travis back there. He's got his new baby uh, with us. There you go, right there. Now, that's very exciting. 
you know, when you see that. But they come in and fall down on their knees and they worship. Why do they do that? Because this baby somehow has miraculous powers to say, Mama, Dada, or something like that. You know, why are they worshiping? Because of what they believe the baby is and what he's going to do. This child is the son of God. This child is the great one the star has led us to. He hasn't done anything yet. He's just a little child. But we believe this child is going to be great in the future because of God's leadership. And therefore, we're worshiping. Their hope of the future caused them to have joy and caused them to worship. Let's see the next thing their hope of the future caused them to do. Again, down the middle of verse 11. Then they opened their treasures and presented with him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by a different route. Third thing they do is they give gifts. Very expensive gifts. Very royal type gifts that you give to a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why are they giving gifts like that to a baby? Because of what they believe this baby is and what this baby is going to do and what this baby is going to become. It all has to do with the way they view their future. They believe God is in this, good things are going to come from it, and it causes joy, worship, and it causes them to give gifts. And so we look around today and what we're reminded of is that's the same attitude we need to have of the future. That God is with us, good things are coming, God is going to be with us, and we can meet the future with that kind of anticipation instead of with the fear we often have when we look at the future. Now, we do that with certain things. When somebody's about to get married, uh, I know when Dawn and I, we got engaged like in February, we got married in July. That wasn't last year, that was was just a long time ago. Uh, but, But when we got engaged, people were saying, you're engaged in, in February and you're going to get married in July? That's not enough time to plan a wedding. And I said, what are you talking about? Six months. How long do you need to plan a wedding? That sounds insane. You know, uh, nothing should take six months to plan. You know, and, and yet then I, I, since I've been doing a lot of weddings and, and the brides come in and they have these wedding planners and they're like this thick and like 17 volumes. You know, I mean, look at all this stuff that you got to do up there, you know, uh, beforehand. 12 months before, 8 to 10 months before. I mean, we were 15 things behind before we ever even started. You know, as we got there, you know, it was time to panic. Why does a bride, because what I found is the groom has no idea, you know. And generally, when I meet with couples, I'll say, okay, groom, uh, here's a piece of coloring paper and a crayon. And you sit there, and I'm going to talk to the bride now about the wedding, you know, because they have, you know, they have no idea what's going on or something. Why do they do this? Because they're anticipating something with joy. They anticipate something good is coming. It's going to happen. And there's joy involved in it. It doesn't mean there's not a lot of preparation, a lot of headaches. Anybody here ever planned a wedding? Was there a headache or something that went wrong with it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But you still had joy in the anticipation. That's what the future is supposed to be like for people that believe in God. Now, compare and contrast that with how Herod acted. Herod, instead of having joy as he anticipates the future, Herod is filled with fear, paranoia, and evil. Fear, paranoia, and evil. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. So the first thing he realizes is he'd been outwitted. I'm not as smart as I thought they were. I was. They've tricked me. They've gone on, and I have no idea where the baby was born except Bethlehem. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity 
who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, I said several times during this sermon, the baby was probably about two years old. That's the scripture that tells you how old he was. He's going to kill every baby from two years and under according to the time the Magi told him. So they believe the baby was born when the star appeared. He's going to make sure that now every baby is going to be killed from that age and under. And then that was said through the prophet of Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And so uh, you have this slaughter that takes place uh, of the innocents. That's Jeremiah 31, 5 uh, that's being quoted there. Why does Herod act like this? Why does he murder innocent babies? Because he's so fearful of what the future might hold. He is so fearful of what might be out there and what might happen to him that it causes him in paranoia to do things that are crazy at this particular time. You know, you look at your life, and sometimes I know in mine as well, we behave out of this paranoid fear of the future. It causes anxiety. It causes depression. Uh, I remember right after uh, the World Trade Center's bombing on 9-11, I had to go to a lady's apartment a couple of days later that went to the, that went to the church. I had to sit down and talk to her because she was afraid to walk outside of her doors of her apartment, afraid that something bad would happen to her after 9-11. That, that view of the future, that, that something bad is going to happen, I can't even leave my apartment. People that won't get on an airplane and fly because you're afraid of what might happen on that airplane when you get on it. You know, fear of flying on an airplane has more to do with control than anything else because you're much more likely to get hurt going home in your car than you are flying on an airplane. That was just to encourage you for your, for your, for your helps of, of the future. But we have this fear of getting on an airplane because we're no longer in control. And why do we have fear of the future? Because we're no longer in control. I don't know what's going to happen to my health. I I don't know if I'm going to get better. I don't know if this is going to happen or that's going to happen. And so this fear causes us to somehow behave irrationally. I can never go to sleep at night if my kids are out because something might might bad happen to my children. And so I'm going to stay up all night until they come home. And then they go from being 15 and 16 to being older and they, they stay out for three or four nights in a row or something like that, you know. And so you haven't slept for four nights or, or something like that, you know. It's much easier if they move to California because then you have no idea what they're doing and, and you can't stay up that late because it's three hours different, you know. And so, you know, the, so that, that makes it a little bit easier. But that fear that we have of the future and what comes from it. And that brings us to the last thing we see in our scripture passage. We can face the future with confidence if we face it with God. You can face the future with confidence if you face it with God. I see two things as we wrap up our story here that ought to give us confidence as we look at the future. Two things that we need to do and know if we're going to face the future with confidence. And the first is this. You have to be realistic. So you need to realistically believe and realize the world can be a scary place. Okay? It's a tough world out there. It's a scary place. There are bad things that happen. But God is with you no matter what happens in your life. You know, we saw last uh, two weeks ago in our scripture passage that we told that Jesus was going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. It doesn't mean the God that takes away all your troubles. It doesn't mean the God that you'll never have any troubles, you'll never have any problems, everything's going to be good. It's the God that no matter what happens in your life, good or bad, is always going to be with you. 
Let's see how that plays out in our scripture passage with Joseph and Mary. Look down to verse 13. Now, when they had gone, that's the Magi. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Uh, Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to try to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. That's Hosea 11.1 that he's quoting there. So, no problems. God's with Joseph and Mary. They have nothing to worry about. Everything's nice and smooth and easy, right? It's not what it says at all. As a matter of fact, Joseph has a dream, and in a dream, an angel tells him, get the baby and his mother and get out of here right now. Get up in the middle of the night and get out. Because Herod is on the move and he's trying to kill the baby. Does that sound like there's no problems or troubles? And not only that, he's not going to stop looking for the baby. You've got to get out of the whole country and go to Egypt. Now, that's even more devastating if you're Jewish, because where have you come from in deliverance? Egypt. And they're having to flee back to Egypt for the safety and security of the child. There was a lot of trouble, a lot of problems, and the world was scary. But God was with them every step of the way. And that's the difference. You can face a scary world out there by yourself and with your resources. And if that's what you're doing, be afraid. Be very afraid. But if you're facing the world with God, you can face it with confidence and hope and encouragement. Because God's going to be with you no matter what happens in life. It doesn't mean it's not scary. It doesn't mean it won't be difficulty. It doesn't mean it won't hurt deeply sometimes. But God will be with you. Psalm 23, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. It doesn't say there's no dark valleys that feel like they're killing you. It says that when you're in the valley, God's with you every single step of the way. You can meet a scary future with God and that gives us confidence. And some people say, yeah, but what if, what if I've got an illness or a loved one's got an illness and I don't even know if they're going to live or not? You can even face that with confidence because what the scripture tells us with great belief is that this world isn't the ultimate and that if the problems of this world become so severe that it takes your life and you die, that because of the birth of Jesus Christ, you will be raised from the grave and be with God forever in heaven. That's the confidence that we have even facing the ultimate of death. So yes, the world's a scary place, but we have a God that's there with us. Just a week ago in Egypt, St. Mark's Church was bombed. It was, a, it was a devastating bombing that hit there. 27 people were killed. 63 people were severely wounded. Got a picture of St. Mark's Church right here. The next morning, that's the priest showed up. Uh, and was uh, uh, walking around the room and praying. You know what happened at St. Mark's Church? They weren't even able to get into the church during the week because of all of the bomb squads and, and police investigating. On Sunday morning, the entire church gathered in this building with blood on the floor, and they worshiped. And you know why they did it? Because they still believed there was hope and that God was with them no matter what was going on in the world. The world can be a scary place, but God is with us. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture. We need to trust and follow God's direction as we go into the future. To trust and follow God's direction. 
Our scripture ends up in verse 19. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, said, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So when Herod passes away, an angel appears to Joseph and says, go back to Egypt, Herod's dead, or go back to Israel, Herod's dead. Verse 21. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and he was warned of God in a dream to go into the district of Galilee. Now, I don't know if you know much about Galilee, but Galilee is the country. It's like going out in the middle of nowhere uh, or something like that. So you're getting about as far away as you can. You know, he's going up into Larry Percival territory up there, you know, in Four Mile or somewhere up there in the, in the mountains. You know, that's, that's what he's doing. He's getting away from it all. And he goes and lives in a town called Nazareth. Nazareth is nowhere in Nowhereville, okay? Uh, Galilee was the, the seaside, the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is up in the, in, the, in the middle of nowhere there. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said to the prophet, he'll be called a Nazarene. Now, if I was Joseph, what I would fear is going to bed at night, because every time he went to bed, he had a bad dream or something like that. But he goes to bed again, and the angel says, okay, I want you back in Israel, but they're still trying to kill the baby. Go to Galilee. So the reason that Joseph was able to have some hope is he felt God was leading and directing and with him, and he trusted God in it all. That's going to be the big key for you as you look into the future. Looking in the future all comes down to whether or not you trust in God. Do I really trust in God? Do I really believe God loves me? Do I really believe God's going to be with me? Do I believe that no matter what hits me, God's not going to fail me? If you believe those things, the future looks a lot different. If you don't believe that, if you believe it's all up to me, uh, it's a scary place, bad things happen randomly all the time, I'm afraid to walk out the door, it's a different world. But if you come with it and say, God's there, God loves me, God directs me, then you can go with great confidence as we meet the ghosts of the future. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you not only are with us here in the present, but God, you've got a great future in store for us. That, Father, that that no matter what comes, you're there to encourage, to strengthen us. Help us to go into the future trusting you with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.